Hey there, everyone. This is Lauren Told. I'm Talison. They, them. Lexi, she, her. And today we are talking about the maker of the Dragon Age games. Woo! <laughs> Before we get into things today, though, Lexi, we have some housekeeping. It's our first time with housekeeping. Housekeeping? How exciting! So my cousin is a listener of the podcast, Wonderful. and a few episodes ago, we had the episode about the moon, and I made a comment how I couldn't find why Conchu's skin is green. Yes. I laughed after I read this message from my cousin, because I then went to Google and found it in 2.5 seconds when I had, like... Gotta love how that works sometimes. Like, I can't find this anywhere. And <laughs> sometimes we overcomplicate our research thoughts. It happens. Exactly. Okay. So what I was told is that Conchu is probably depicted with green skin because Osiris is often depicted with green skin, as well mm-hmm. as a few other gods, because green represented growth, life, and immortality to the Egyptians. Great. These were all things associated with the Nile and it being a greenish color and making plants grow. Makes a lot of sense. Makes so much sense. Thank you, Elizabeth, for letting me know that part of that. Thank you, Elizabeth. It's kind of fun to have little notes like that to bring yeah. up. Lexi, what do you know about the maker? I know that you wanted to talk about this way earlier, but I had been <laughs> taking my sweet time to finish Inquisitions. <laughs> so <laughs> I have finally done that. I have felt the pain that comes with finishing that game oh wait i should probably let everyone know there will be spoilers mostly for inquisition because that's the game with the heaviest connection to the chantry and the maker but in general giant spoilers for the entire dragon age series are we gonna like spoil spoil inquisition spoil spoil oh okay but also kind of mass effect there's a passing comment in mass effect where someone actually says the maker Look, for all of you with bingo cards we got to make bingo cards you're gonna get a point for a, a massive it's like a punch card we gotta make punch cards for like did we make a mass effect reference in this episode <laughs> we're almost 10 for 10 i know we went through one whole episode without a mass effect comment okay so what else do you know about the maker i mean i've experienced the maker in Inquisitions. Mm-hmm. I, I've experienced discussions about the maker and in Inquisitions. I have not mm-hmm. met the maker in Inquisition. <laughs> I know that the main god in the world that is sort of like the prominent religion in Inquisitions is Andraste. And Andraste is the herald. No. Andraste is not a god. Andraste is not the god. Not Well, I know they're not. She's not a god in any way, shape, or form. Oh, man. So here's the thing. I don't read all the little lore doc. I don't read the codex every time. Oh, I don't either. <laughs> and I've played this game multiple times. Don't worry. Uh, Andrasi will get her own episode. She is kind of an amalgamation of Mary, the Virgin Mary, and Jesus. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I just thought there was also some, like, achieved godhood there. But regardless, I know that Andrasi is related to the Maker in some way. I know that the Maker is very Catholic. <laughs> <laughs> yes, well, very Abrahamic, uh, yeah. very Christian, a lot of Catholic imagery in the Chantry. Hey, if you are having a rough time uh, with deconstructing church ideologies at the moment, maybe don't listen to this episode. Maybe wait. I really don't know much about the Maker other than that I usually disagree with the Chantry in-game. Because you gotta, religion's always the big bad. Often, yes, often. Not always, often. It's usually religion or capitalism. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right. Thank you, Dimension 20. <laughs> okay. 
So this is going to be part one of a multi-part series, I'm sure, about the religions in Thetis. Do you know what Thetis stands for? Um, okay, you got to let me make a guess. <laughs> Thetis. Thetis. T-H-E-D-A-S. To hear and... I got to commit. T-H. To hear and... T-H-E... Wait, hang on. Hang on. I got to write this out. I'm going to make a guess. I'm going to make a guess and it's going to be wildly inaccurate, but I, I got to do it. Um, to hear every dog as seen. It stands for the Dragon Age setting. And in pre-production... Uh, hang on. <laughs> hang on. We got to give that a moment. <laughs> the Dragon Age setting. D-A-S. Really? <laughs> All right. So the story behind that is that it was used in pre-production and then it just kind of kept getting used and it was a placeholder and then it just right. kind of stuck. So Thetis stands for the Dragon Age setting. Fun intro fact for everyone. <laughs> I don't know how to feel about that, but it is what it is. Really as well. It just, hmm, okay. So this is probably one of many parts of generally the Dragon Age religions, but also part one of the Chantry because the Chantry has a lot going on in it. So first we're going to start with the maker who is kind of, not kind of, he is the god equivalent, the god capital G equivalent. At some point we'll go into the Chantry as a whole. Andraste will absolutely get her own episode because she has a lot of information about her. So who is the maker? According to the world of Thetis Volume 1, the maker is the god introduced by the prophet Andraste and worshipped by the Chantry. So we see him depicted most closely comparable, try to say that three times fast, to the Abrahamic God with a capital G, mm -hmm. or Allah, or Yahweh, or um, the many other names for God with a capital G. The Maker's pronouns are even capitalized like Abrahamic gods are. He is omnipresent and is said to be the creator of the universe, who has turned his back on the world because of their sins. Sounds kind of familiar. I forgot about that part. <laughs> I, if yeah. you grew up, especially in Catholicism, that should sound familiar. There are two chantries in Thetis. Orlais and Ferelden, your France and England equivalents, are the Andrasian chantry. And the Tevinter Empyrean has the Imperial Chantry. They differ like Catholicism and Eastern Orthodoxy differ, where they're following largely the main text, but they have different figureheads and a lot of their beliefs and customs differ, but overall they largely follow the same text. Of note, before we get into a little bit more of their customs, we do not yet have a good non-binary character representation in Dragon Age. You have some people who are kind of, sort of, androgynous maybe we do have krem who is a trans man a confirmed trans man but within the chantry's traditions i cannot yet confirm where non-binary individuals would fall and that's important because the androstian chantry non-men again mainly women we haven't seen a non-binary character are heads of the church reflecting and honoring Andraste's role in the formation of the religion men can be a certain level of priesthood i would say Based on what we've seen in the games, they can't. it seems like they can't become more than deacons, if you know the kind mm. of hierarchy of the Catholic Church. Deacons are not ordained priests. They're like, if you want to say a level below, kind of a level below. Yeah. And they have different responsibilities. I can only think of one man. You see Roderick, and then yeah, he Yeah, that's all I can think of. <laughs> and I didn't like him, so I wasn't sad about that. No. But... And it seems like he's not a full priest. He's not given those those rights of priesthood, mm -hmm. but he does preach. I don't know. It's kind of it's a little confusing. It's hard because you only you you only got a sample size of one. Yeah, so. yeah. I 
think there yeah. are other people in the other games where you see more men, but anyway. Oh, there is a dwarf in Origins who is a man. There we go. And the, and he's he's preaching from sort of like a priestly perspective, but he's not like high up. You also see in Lothering a couple of priest question mark. You know what I mean? Where they're at, yeah. the, at the chantry board where you can yeah. pick up quests. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. they can only reach a certain level in the hierarchy and women are the it's a very uh matriarchal system mm-hmm. the divine of the Andrastian chantry is informally called the white divine or the true divine this branch of the chantry came first and then the imperial chantry was like broke off from them and started following other beliefs and like in culture members of the Andrastian chantry just call the divine yes. the divine but people outside of the chantry even if they're in that area of the world call it the white divine or the, the other term for it? I'm not sure. The only kind of conversation I can remember you having is with Dorian, where you talk about the Chantry. He mentions that his divine is the Black Divine. Yeah. Don't get a really good sense of how often people call... The, I think they just call her the Divine yeah. and the other one the Black Divine. But it's hard because you're you're in Orlea and Ferelden, so you're yeah. in the land in which that yeah. is just the Divine. And I wonder if things will change if you're in Tevinter. Well, the next game takes place in Tevinter, so that'll be really interesting. I don't know. <laughs> I hope we get more. The main difference of the Imperial Chantry, well, not the main difference, (laughs) one of the big differences of the Imperial Chantry is it is men and only men as clergy. Mm -hmm. Women are not allowed into the clergy at all. As I quickly mentioned, the Andrastian Chantry followers refer to the Imperial Chantry's divine as the Black Divine, as they do not recognize his authority or the intense integration of magic into the religion in the North. One of the other big main differences between the two sects of the Chantry, sects with yeah, a T, yeah, yeah. are their treatment of magic. The Andrastian Chantry has a really tight leash on its magic users. You see that with the Circle Mages, how they're given no rights. They're not given rights. Yeah, they're like sort of bordering on imprisoned. Well, they are imprisoned. They're occasionally given leave to leave the circles and go do a job and come back. Anyone who is not in a circle is considered an apostate and is... They can drag you back to a circle they can kill you templars have a lot of power it's not great yeah it's not great (laughs) but we'll get into that a little bit more when we talk about the chantry directly and then the imperial chantry is integrated with the magisters of the imperium and the black divine i'm just going to use black divine it's easier to say than imperial divine the black divine is a magister so you have to be a magister to be the divine in the imperial chantry magic runs more freely into winter much more freely. It's actually like venerated as opposed to it's very much used to shame people in Thetis or in lower Thetis rather. Specifically in Inquisitions, there are sections of the game in Inquisitions where there's approval ratings. And if you are a mage, depending on who you're talking to, you automatically have lower approval ratings with people because of how they're perceived. Yeah. And you have conversations with a bunch of people about the circles and at one point, Sola says, are we not all apostates now? Because he's mentioning the fact that the, like, the circles have been brought down. Disbanded, yeah. Yeah, so everyone is an apostate now. It's really interesting. It's a really abusive cyclical system that is created, and we're going to get real deep into that in the Chantry episode. Do you know anything about how the Chantry was formed? Nope. I know that my girl Leliana's in it. Love her. <laughs> sweet girl, our sweet, stabby girl. So we mentioned Andraste, mm-hmm. who the best amalgamation I could say in a real world reference is some kind of combination of Jesus and Mary, where she is kind of the grand prophet, but she is also the maker's wife. Oh, yeah. The bride of the maker. She did have a worldly husband, so it gets 
we'll get into that. So when she was young, she had dreams about the maker, a god she claimed had abandoned the world when the people of Thetis began worshiping the old gods, which are the gods that even predate the elven gods. They're the gods from which the blight comes. Mm, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the black city that are locked away. Yes. It is said that the maker fell in love with Andraste because of the songs she sang for him and offered to bring her to paradise. But instead, she bargained for the maker to return to the people of the world. He was like, yeah, cool. Once everyone in the world sings my praise, I'll come back and help you all out. He aided her by giving her power, which is debated about whether she had magic or not. It just is said that she was given power to use against her perceived enemies. There is a lot of speculation that Andraste, mostly in the fandom, there's a lot of speculation that she was a powerful mage, which would make sense. Make a lot of sense. I do have like an off-topic question. Yeah. Is that why... The fact that Andraste was sort of a bard-like figure, is that why bards are so sort of, like, revered within that culture? Because you see it? I actually don't know. Like, you see it a little bit. You don't see it a lot, but you see it, like, discussions of, like, bard and storyteller in that way as being, like, a pretty, like, good job. But it's more that they're spies. It's not that they're holy people. That's true. They're, They're part of the grand game kind of thing. Yeah, that's true. And Liliana specifically went into the Chantry to stop being a bard. That's fair. So I don't think so. All right, cool. I don't think so. That's Hey, that's good. I was just like, I was like, I had just a little, little pondering. Andraste's preaching caught on even into winter, where it was easy to turn the oppressed people against the system that ruled them. Pretty easy when everyone's made a slave. As the commandants of the Maker preached not using magic to oppress people, which is very popular in the Tevinter Imperium. Yes, there are a lot of people who have magic used to oppress them in the Tevinter yes. Empire. They pulled a, a 180 afterwards and were like, oh, you can't use magic to oppress people. We're in a way using magic to oppress people by locking them in a tower because they have magic. So I, I would still say that's using magic to oppress people just in reverse. Yeah, it's it's just like a method for control in both scenarios. I would like to note that her group of followers was deemed a cult, which is interesting. Yeah, I mean, like, when we talk about cults, we can look at them sort of as essentially the implications there when you define something as a cult, is you're implying that mm-hmm. the person who's leading it is false, which makes a lot of sense if people are trying to disprove Andraste, as you would call it a cult, because then it implies that Andraste's revelations about the maker are not true and that's like an easy way to say that with like a single syllable word yeah the time that she was beginning the religion the old gods were still being worshipped the elven Mm -hmm. gods were being worshipped really heavily by the elves so yeah a new god in here everyone's like "Mm, no eventually her worldly husband maferath betrayed her growing jealous of the maker he made a deal with hesarian the archon of the imperium at the time to capture Andraste, who was then burned at the stake. Is that why there's all that fire imagery around Andraste? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, she has some Joan of Arc imagery. Yeah. Yes, she does. makes sense considering she was also burned at the stake. Her ashes were smuggled out of Minrathus with the intention of bringing them to Denerim, which is where she was born, but they infamously were lost during the journey. In Origins, you can find them. You can choose not to find them. Oh. You can find them and then defile them and then... Oh. Oh, this is a spoiler for you. Are you okay getting the spoiler? Yeah, spoil it for me. It's I've been okay. taking like my sweet time to finish this game as well. In Origins, when you find them, that's part of the big plot. You have to find them. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, I'm on that quest right now. Okay, if you defile them, if you touch them and defile them, like physically touch the ashes, mm-hmm. you will be forced to kill Leliana. <gasps> 
I won't touch them. Then that's my girl. I won't touch them. I won't touch them. And then her situation in Inquisition is tricky because she's alive, but she was very much dead, and she is explained away as a spirit. It's a very weird, overly complicated loophole. Not like someone found her and brought her back. Not like a miracle was performed and she was brought back. No, she's this spirit who then disappears into the ether after the game ends, and it's just, Mm -hmm. there's so many more logical ways you could have explained her being back. Yeah, but okay. (laughs) All right. I mean, my warden wouldn't have, but now I won't. Because Liliana's gotta live so that they can retire together. It's assumed that the maker, after Andraste was killed, was like, haha, all right, yeah, I'm not helping you people now. And that she watches over the world alongside him. Cult of Andraste kind of putzed around without leadership until the first ruler of Orlais, who managed to unite the followers into what became the Chantry. It's a little quick, okay. quick version of that story. It is a lot longer. So you often see, and this is not exclusive to Abrahamic religions, there are often core principles or I don't want to say rules, but tenets in religions that mm-hmm. followers do their best to emulate. The Chantry also has that. So their faith is rooted in four principles that kind of make up the core. Magic is a corrupting influence in the world. Rolls eyes. <laughs> <laughs> Humankind's sin of pride destroyed the golden city and created the darkspawn, terrible embodiments of that sin. And that's specifically humans. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Yeah, the humans are a fault. Andraste was the bride of the maker, a prophet and martyr whose ultimate sacrifice must be remembered and honored. Okay. And humankind has sinned and must seek penance to earn the maker's forgiveness. When all peoples unite to praise the maker, he will return to the world and make it a paradise. I'm making a face. <laughs> I'm not going to get on my rant about the thing I really hate about the maker. No, tell me. Like, there's so many other religions in the world that have been destroyed by the existence of the maker. And I get that that is, like, reminiscent of real world religions. Mm -hmm. And that that happens across the board with a bunch of different traditions. And we see that occurring throughout time. But, like, maybe I just want my fantasy world. I think the elven gods are cool as hell. And I wish that they could, like, be around more. But I know why they're not around. And that's not the maker's fault. Look at you, Solas. (laughs) Glare his eyes. (laughs) So you can see with that some pretty direct influence from Abrahamic religions, especially, you know, the Ten Commandments, with that kind of thing, four core principles of the Chantry can be seen to take direct influence from the Ten Commandments of Abrahamic religions. The Ten Commandments do appear in some form of every Abrahamic religion, though the order and exact wording differs from religion to religion. It's really interesting. The Ten Commandments kind of pop up in all of these things with slight wording differences and some differences in what order that they appear in the text. God, I love I love translational differences in ancient texts. It's one of my favorite things. <laughs> it is really cool. It is really, really cool. I mean, it's, it's church doctrine, right? And so church doctrine is going to reflect church doctrine, especially when they're like, it's not a one-to-one comparison, but it has a lot of similarities. And so you're going to see crossover there. Yeah. And there's also the chant of light, which is a whole thing that I'm going to leave for the chantry specific mm-hmm. episode because it is very long. It's a lot to pick apart. It's very reminiscent of the Nicene creeds and like things like that. Kind of the ones that are more directly related to the maker are those four core principles. There is a lot of speculation in the games from characters and, you know, kind of NPCs and stuff about whether the maker actually exists. Some insist he do and has just turned his back on the world while others openly question his existence. While this is the major religion of the humans, you do have non-human races that do follow the Chantry. I mean, the goal of the Chantry is conversion of all 
the all the folks. Yes. All the peoples. So you see some surface dwarves sometimes. There are some elves that have converted. Much like you see with the Tevinter Imperium, you have people who have converted to the Tevinter Imperium. You have people who are not Kunari who have converted to the Kuhn and follow the Kuhn. You know, there's converts everywhere in every religion. Yeah. Both Origins and Dragon Age 2 do have some discussion around religion, but the brunt of the focus of the Chantry comes in Inquisition. It has a lot of interesting threads surrounding the Maker and the Inquisitor, who has been dubbed the Herald of Andraste, kind of a prophet figure, regardless of their race or religious beliefs, after the explosion more spoilers for the Dragon Age system, <laughs> for the Dragon Age games. Yeah, just, I, I mean, we've already spoiled, like, the big spoiler already, so, you know, yeah. that's fine. So, the way Inquisition starts ties into the Chantry itself directly. The whole reason this story is being brought to us is because in the ending of Dragon Age 2, the Kirkwall Chantry was blown up by Anders and in rebellion against the circle systems. So the game starts with the conclave, which was the attempt of the heads of all of these parties trying to come together to figure out what the fuck they're going to do in Ferelden and Orlais. Is that why they're meeting? Yeah. They're trying to figure out what the fuck mm. they're going to do with the Chantry and because mages in Ferelden and Orlais have started rebelling. So they're just like, what the fuck do we do? How do we make peace again? The Templars are kind of going buck wild right now what's happening. So canonically, all four of the Inquisitor options are at the Conclave. The one you play is the one who made it out. All the others are destroyed. Oh. Because every single one of those characters was there for the Conclave. Yeah, they were there for the Conclave. And the one you play is the one that was chosen to make it out. And everyone gets blown up. There's extensive conversation with companions and advisors, especially as a Lavellan Inquisitor, because the Dalish follow the Elven gods, continue to follow the Elven gods and traditions and things. Kadash and Adar. Kadash is the Dwarven and Adar is a Talvashoth Kunari, which means that they were raised outside of the Kune. Canonically in the game, the Adar Inquisitor has never been part of the Kune. They were born outside of it. Their parents had already left. Both are either definitively or potentially cut off from their faith. Over the course of the game, as a Lavellan Inquisitor, you can kind of say, oh yeah, my clan follows the Elven gods, but I don't take much stock in them and choose to kind of not officially convert to Androstianism, but like kind of go through a conversion process. It implies that like because I did this with my first Inquisitor on accident because I was just like, God, I'm going to pacify the religious people. <laughs> so it sort of feels like you already were... You were questioning your beliefs. Yeah, it comes across like the NPCs assumed you were not Andrastian, but that you as your Inquisitor is like, no, I already believe in this. Like, it's not a conversion you see happening when you pick those dialogue options. It feels like a very much like an explaining of where they're already at. That's how I felt, but... I, you kind of have to actively choose to, which is why I say it's a conversion process. You have to like, choose those dialogue options. It doesn't happen automatically. No, no. I mean, correct. They don't happen automatically. But you're canonically, at the start, you're still following the elven gods. And you can choose to say, fuck this, never mind. Gotcha. The dwarves and the kune. Dwarves don't really have a religion. They don't worship the way that other people worship. They venerate the stone kind of nature. And they have a lot of respect and reverence for the stone that they dwell within but they don't have a tangible religion like the other communities do it's like ancestral reverence but not divinity yeah it's not divinity based they have people called paragons who are like exemplary people of the traits they hold in high regard in their communities but they don't have gods Mm -hmm. and then the most simplified 
explanation of the Kuhn is it is a highly strict code of honor that dictates almost everything in your life down to your career. I do want to, as a side note, mention, just because this is often talked about with the Kuhn, even though we're not going to get into this, the Kuhn is not based on Islam. I just want to make that clear already, even in this episode of The Maker. Mm-hmm. The staff and creators have mentioned that it was not their intention to mirror Islam in any way when creating the Kuhn. You never get a concrete answer about whether the Maker is real. You don't ever have a moment of like, oh, the Maker just made this sparkly thing happen. And you kind of do get that for elven gods. You know that <laughs> elven gods are real. But yes, <laughs> that's how religion works here in like yeah, exactly. Earth. Is that like you don't know that gods exist. That's not true of all fantasy systems. Sometimes you get the privilege of knowing that other gods exist because you see them and you meet them. Yeah. And the maker does not have... They're not corporeal. No. And uh, how do I say this? Faith for the sake Mm -hmm. of faith and some faith in a higher power, but not I need to see physical representations of my god. Yeah. It's rooted in belief. Yeah. And belief from the perspective of there is a possibility that what I am giving my belief to is or is not real. Belief can be used to describe divinity systems where you do know that the god is real, but it's a different type of belief because you know it exists. Mm -hmm. And can see the tangible proof. Yeah. It's like belief that regardless of the existence of tangible proof, this higher power is watching over you. Yeah. So we don't get any concrete answers. You do about the elven gods. (laughs) If you know, you know. We've already spoiled (laughs) it, but it's it's fair. There is speculation in the fandom about whether the maker is real. There are some theories that the maker might actually be an elven god. He might be a spirit of faith that visited Andraste. And I'm real bummed because I could not find this TikTok and we're going to keep this part in. There was a really, really good, and it's not a new speculation, just someone made a really good video about it on TikTok about the maker being an elven god and Andraste being one of Mythal's existences, Hmm. which is really interesting to think about. We don't have any concrete proof either way about whether that's true. I am kind of of the belief that it wasn't and that it's possibly either the maker is real or it was a spirit of faith. I mean, I would love if it was real because it gives some rightfully deserved vindication to the elves. Oh, yeah. It would be so interesting. (laughs) Solas, can you confirm or deny this? (laughs) Yeah. He just sort of doesn't say anything about, he doesn't really talk about the maker that often. He does say that he likes the idea of the maker, the idea that there's a god that's watching out for everyone. Yeah, of course he does. (laughs) (laughs) Of course he likes the idea that someone could come in and fix all the problems. Yeah. For those of you who don't know and have committed to hearing the spoilers, Solas is Fen'Harel and elven god there is also i mean we're not gonna get into this because that's the whole that's the elven gods episode yeah let me rant about solace another time yeah there is debate whether the elven gods were just powerful mages it's a whole thing but one of the best parts about inquisition i think and the involvement of the chantry and discussion about the maker in inquisition is your conversations with other companions and advisors Mm -hmm. That's like my favorite part of the game, period. Yeah. yeah. I love getting to chat with all the NPCs and I love party banter and I love I, I, I love how there's so much conversation you can have with everyone and it's really nice. Yeah. And the two I'm going to bring up today are Leliana and Cassandra because mm-hmm. they're integral to the system of the Chantry. You also have some really good conversations with the Iron Ball about mm-hmm. the Chantry versus the Kuhn and things like that. You can have some really deep conversations with people, yeah. which you don't always get in video games. I think that's one of Bioware's biggest things is they really want you to think about these things and they really want you to have an experience where you can explore different options and take some time and reflect yourself on these things. And for the most part, they do it in a really nice way with meaningful conversations. Yeah. So Leliana is the left hand of the divine. And when you first meet her, they dance around and Cassandra cuts right to the chase and says she's a spy master. Hell yeah. (laughs) I love her. And it's so funny because Leliana's like, yep, okay, say it, say it louder, Cassandra, that I'm a spy master. (laughs) 
<laughs> but the first independent conversation you have with Liliana, she's praying to the maker and asking him if all the bloodshed and loss of innocent life is truly what he's asking for. She'll even get a little bit aggressive with the Inquisitor, asking if they know anything since they're supposedly a prophet. She's clearly angry at the maker, this being that she has placed a lot of faith in and spent a lot of her life, well, the past 10 years, devoting her life to. In Origins, you meet her as kind of a newer, not convert to the Chantry, but she has entered a cloister not long before the start of the game. She's formerly a bard and Mm -hmm. a spy. And she spends the next 10 years, which is the time between Origins and Inquisition, working her way up through the Chantry and becomes the head of the Divine's spy security, however you want to spin it. She's like, I'm just the head security guard. And everyone else is like, we know that you're the spy master and that you've killed a lot of people. And she's like, look. (laughs) She's killed a lot of people. She's killed so many people. The blood is on her hands, so it's not on the Divine's. Yep. That's how it works. Exactly. At one point in the conversation, she'll say to you, I thought I was fulfilling his purpose for me, working with the divine, helping people, but now she's dead. It was all for nothing. Serving the maker meant nothing. She's having a crisis of faith when you first meet her. And through these initial conversations that you have with her independently, you have the opportunity to bolster her faith and her religion, which you can tell is a big part of her life, or kind of not convince her to completely cut away from the Chantry. But, you know, be, I would say, make her more agnostic about things. Mm -hmm. It's referred to in the game as hardening or softening Leliana. If you harden her, that's the kind of the more agnostic option. She's more cutthroat about life and much more pessimistic. Yeah, she becomes disenchanted with her belief system both in and out of the Chantry. And she will brutally murder someone on her independent quest later in the game if you harden her. Yeah, which implies she would do it. And does do it for the rest of the game and you just don't get to see it. Yes, it very much implies that behind the scenes she's been doing a lot more killing. And in that scene, you can't prevent her from doing it if you've hardened her. She just slits someone's throat and you're like, whoa, was that the good option? And she snaps at you and she's real cold and real harsh. My first playthrough that happened. Did you accidentally? Yes. Same, because I, I didn't know. know. I missed a conversation. I missed a conversation. I didn't talk to her until after Haven for the first time. And you have to talk oh, to you her. you got to talk to her before Haven. <laughs> you have Haven. to talk to her in Haven. And she becomes very unremorseful about the life she has to take. If you choose to be like, hey, whoa, maybe killing is not the answer here. Maybe we should be, you know, still sticking to our belief systems and morals regardless of where they come from. She'll be... I mean, she still kills people, let's be real. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But she's a lot more thoughtful about it. Yes. (laughs) And in that same scene, she will essentially be like, you're disgusting, you're not even worth killing to the person. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really interesting to see someone going through a crisis of faith. You also see that with Cassandra, who is referred to as the right hand of the divine. She is a seeker of truth. That is her job title. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Which is a section of the Templars that broke off and became their own thing. That's a whole... (laughs) That's the Seekers of Truth and the Templars, also their own their own Complicated. episode. <laughs> Complicated. There's a lot of lore here, okay? There's a lot of lore. <laughs> she is the one who really is more the head of the security department. <laughs> Where Lelia's like, I'm the knife in the left hand of the divine. Cassandra is kind of referred to as the fist, I believe she is, like the one who punches. Yeah. In her first conversation with the Inquisitor, she's worried that history will remember her as a heretic. She's also fed up with a religious institution that, in her words, will stand in the fire and complain that it's hot 
She's tired of cyclical meetings that just circle back to doing nothing. And she's real pissed off about this. So there's a different flavor of this crisis of faith mm-hmm. where Leliana's like, my whole belief system has been shattered. Cassandra's like, I have these beliefs and don't know what to do with them because everyone's doing fuck all right now. Yeah, Cassandra's beliefs don't ever feel shaken like Leliana's do. No, like Leliana's shaken to her core. Yeah. Has spent the last 10 years devoted to directly to the maker. Cassandra's mad at the system. Yes. Cassandra is very much the system needs to change. But not mad at the maker. She, like Liliana, doesn't know whether the Herald is truly a prophet or whether they will help them or harm them with the work that they're trying to do. She's also worried initially. She's the one who called the Inquisition together to start to address the issues after the Conclave. So she's worried that she did the wrong thing and they shouldn't be doing this and that maybe the maker had a different plan. Mm -hmm. She will also ask you in that first conversation, regardless of race, if you believe that you're the chosen one and if you believe in the maker, the conversation ends with her saying that she'll believe enough for the both of them if you say that you don't believe in the maker. I think it's interesting and knowing Cassandra, it sounds like one of those like, "Mm, I'll pray for you things, but that's not at all how Cassandra intends it. I got, (laughs) I'll pray for you vibes from it. That was my approach. That's fair. That's fair. That's fair. (laughs) She is very, if you're Elvin, she'll snap at you and be like, isn't there a room among your gods for one more? Which is interesting considering that the Chantry is diatheistic, but they claim to be monotheistic. They pretend they don't worship Andraste as a god, but they do worship her as a god. It's a whole thing. But, you know, she's very, well, you already have all of these gods. Can't you add one more to it? And you're just like, girly, have you looked at your own <laughs> religious text? Yeah, if one more was added. I can't, you can't, you can't add Andraste without removing all yeah. of the other ones because that's how that works. You just can't add the maker. Sorry. So it's interesting to see these two work through their crisis of faith because you can support either one of them or Vivian, who is the mage advisor to Empress Celine of Orlais, who Leliana, Cassandra, and Vivian become the top three choices for the divine, and you have the ability to influence that. The hardening of Leliana does matter in that. She can be a slightly different divine if she's hardened versus she's softened. I don't remember what the consequences are, but there are consequences. <laughs> to your actions. <laughs> I know that softened Leliana removes a lot of human barriers yes. around entry into the chantry. Yes. And I don't think the hardened one does. So that's everything about the maker. There's a lot of the discussion about him is really more around the people who believe in him because mm-hmm. there's so little about the maker himself from direct text from all three games. There's four blurbs and then everyone who talks about him. So it's really a lot more about the interaction of these people with their faith. Yeah, I don't think... I mean, again, I'm someone who doesn't always read the codex. I do sometimes. <laughs> do I read all of Varric's stories? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I do. But I don't think, as far as information you get from the codex about texts in the world, it's very little in regard to the maker. Mm-hmm. You get a lot in regard to Andraste because you're Andraste's herald. Yes. And so you find out a lot of information about Andraste, which informs about the maker, but not as much as if we had direct writing. Yeah. So I went through all of the codex entries and you have... Good work. No, don't worry. Someone has compiled them into a very nice set of PDFs. Oh, thank God. (laughs) I did not sit and scroll through. But he doesn't have a robust codex entry like a lot of the other characters do, where it's the Dreadwolf is blah, 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 and it goes into a thing. It's just kind of you get a small blurb and you get a part of the Chant of Light. Which is potentially informative about, like, if we could say that the codex is the information that is presented in world in, in Thetis... Then, like, does that tell us that there 
is much more emphasis put on Andraste than there is put on the maker, even like in written textual form. Oh, yeah. Which is informative about how people are practicing their faith. Yeah, it's really interesting. Wow, very cool. But that's all we have for this week. If you want to give us your opinions of the maker, which we would love to hear. Love to hear. Tell us whether you softened or hardened Liliana. You can shoot us an email at loreuntold at gmail.com. You can find Mm -hmm. us on Twitter, TikTok, and Instagram at loreuntold. Our website is loreuntold.com. And we have a fancy new beautiful Patreon that we just updated. Mm -hmm. And you can check that out. We got three different tiers. It's a really good time. And we are excited to see people there. Yes. Lexi, where can we find you in the interview? Webs. I am on Twitter and TikTok at Loch Ness Lex, Loch Ness the Monster, Lex Lex. Where are you, Talison? I am on Twitter and TikTok at A Never Bird, like from Peter Pan. Yay! Woo! <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. We hope you have a fantastic week and we will see you again soon. Bye! Bye. Maker guide you, I guess. Oh, yeah, we didn't even get into fucking swears. We'll talk about that later. <laughs> what is what is a swear I could shout at the end? What's what I could shout? I'm still recording. Make her preserve you. <laughs> there's Andraste's flaming ass. On, there's, like, a lot of Andraste's flaming body part. Andraste's flaming ass is a very good There's, one. like, Maker's breath, which you hear Cullen say a lot. There's, you also hear him, <laughs> hear him say, Maker preserve me is often like, oh, God, Maker preserve me. Like, very exasperated.